Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we are going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy. It is not a gender. Great week of movies. Unintentionally. I love it when this happens. This is almost too good. Like this feels kind of like the week that we watched all the Steven Spielberg movies. And it's just a lot of favorites. And a lot of new favorites in a row. So let's uh, let's dive right into it. First movie was my mystery movie pick. And we had a lot of mystery movie picks this week, oh, which was really nice yeah. to get back to. It's my favorite way to watch movies other than going to the theater to see something that like I'm anticipating. Mm-hmm. But I love the way that I get excited to see what you've picked. I get excited to pick something. And it's, you know, we've kind of been having based on just there being such great stuff in the theaters and having Edmonton Film Festival here, we haven't gotten to do as many of these lately as we do usually do. So exciting to get back into mystery movie picks. Hell yeah. And it was my mystery movie pick to kick off the week, and I chose the film, the horror comedy, An American Werewolf in London. It was directed by John Landis, written by Goran Stovleski, no, that's the guy who wrote You Won't Be Alone. What's happened? I would Hold. just like to pause for a second and say that Elliot has started to take his notes on his iPhone notes app instead of doing them on the computer. And since he's starting doing that, he's been making lots of errors. Just want to point that out. Leave me be. Uh, American Marvel from London was directed and written by John Landis. And it came out in 1981. Yeah, I don't know that Gore- that Stilevsky fellow was even capable of writing a script in 1981. Because he's baby? <laughs> Probably. Might not even have been alive. I think he's young. All right. John Landis taking on director and writer credits for Amer- An American Werewolf in London. It stars David Naughton as David, Jenny a gutter as nurse Alex Price and Uncle Nicky himself, Griffin Dunn, as Jack. Um, Goran Stavlovsky was born in 1985. Cool. So, wasn't <laughs> even around. <laughs> Pre baby. Okay. Pre baby scriptwriter. 
Um, synopsis, two American college students on a walking tour of Britain are attacked by a werewolf that none of the locals will admit exists. Yeah, this is, I was very excited for this because this is another classic that both of us have yet to see. Um, it's, you know, we've seen some of the most prolific scenes highlighted in a lot of the horror stuff that we like to watch and documentaries and whatnot. And just because we're horror fans, it's kind of within the horror, uh, pop culture, whatever. So we were really excited to get into this. What do you think of an American werewolf in London? This was so good. Yeah. Like I've been wanting to watch it for a very long time, but I don't love vampire or werewolf things as a, as a whole. I'm not like, oh, a new werewolf movie or a new vampire movie. I'm going to run out and see it. But there are individual vampire and werewolf things that I like a lot. It's not that I'm like anti-vampire or anti-werewolf. It's just not, I'm not as drawn to it as I am to witches, ghosts, or sloshers. Like those are mm. more in my wheelhouse. What are um, some, wh- like what are some werewolf things that currently exist that you've seen prior to this that you really well, liked? kind of. A combo would be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I really, really, really like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I liked it when I was a kid and I still like it now. And mm-hmm. we watched it in its entirety in 2020 after we got stuck in our homes. Lockdown, yeah. You had tried to watch it with me several times, but the first season can be a bit tough to get through because it's very Monster of the Week and we'd never made it through. Mm-hmm. But with all that time on our hands, we we made it through and you quite liked it, yes? I loved it. And um, when I watched it as a kid... Willow and Oz were my two favorite characters Mm -hmm. and I had big crushes on both of them. How I didn't realize I was like bisexual until I was older or like (laughs) how I didn't come out to myself until I was older (laughs) is beyond me because I had big crushes (laughs) on both of them (laughs) when I was young. Um, And of course, Seth Green's character is a werewolf Mm -hmm. and Willow is a witch. And then we've got uh, all the vampires. Yeah. Um, other werewolf stuff that I like. I like the game werewolf. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of anything? I nothing that really stands. I mean, obviously Twilight. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> you are a big um, um Jacob, big Jacob Stan. Is that uh, his name? Yeah, not even though I'm, <laughs> I'm an Edward guy. <laughs> are you really? You're yeah. an Edward guy. Wow. Yeah, he's just like super weird and pretty. Jake, Jacob's just like I don't know the way that those stories pan out and the stuff that happens with him in relation to Edward and Bella's family is real real like mm. <laughs> <laughs> you heard you heard it here though Elliot Cuss is an Edward guy yeah team Edward mm. team Jacob you're can, obsessed <laughs> team Jacob can kick rocks um yeah I don't know so so but that's that's the thing. I'm not like, ooh, werewolves, yes. And I haven't seen a lot of classic werewolf stuff. So I think I always had this on my radar to watch, but it wasn't a immediate thing I felt I needed to see. And yeah. now that I've seen it, I really wish I'd seen it earlier. And not just like, oh, I wish I'd seen it like last year. I wish I had seen it when I was a teenager because I think I would have loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would have really informed a lot of what I love now um i instantly understood why it's a classic yeah like it was like oh yeah you know sometimes you watch a classic and you're like yeah everybody is correct it's amazing yeah i i agree and i I think that the thing that puts it on the map for 
most people are just how big of a practical effects innovator it is within the horror genre. Not even just within horror, just in general, the the team behind the practical effects. You know, watching this movie from the early 80s, from 1981 in 2022 and still being like pretty taken with how realistic some of these effects look, um, especially in the werewolf transformation scene. It's incredible and just kind of puts like, I don't know. I mean, again, haven't seen a ton of werewolf transformation stuff in film, but like this puts a lot of it to shame, I would feel. And it's it's so interesting. And this is going to come back later in the episode with another film we watched more for you, but this for both of us. We have seen that transformation scene in so many like best effects ever best horror movie scenes ever like i've i've seen it so many times and still it was phenomenal it didn't feel like oh yeah i've seen this it felt like holy hell this is incredible and i hadn't seen it uncut without talking heads in the middle of it um without like repeating the same part of it again and again yeah it was amazing and it just you and i i think we won't ever change our minds on this, but you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Practical effects over digital effects every time. Mm-hmm. That's what has allowed this to still be as visceral and engaging as it was in 1981. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And you know, it's, it's the practical effects, you know, when it, I feel like where practical effects can really sing too if you're not going full practical effects. And we've talked about this a lot on the show. Is like is an instance like Jurassic Park, where mm-hmm. like there are computer effects, but there's so many practical effects that you're able your brain's just able to make that leap a little bit better oh, yeah. and still keep it grounded in reality. Yeah, I and, agree. I don't think it's no digital effects ever, but that combination of the two and using practical when you can to heighten and ground what you are doing digitally, I think can be really great and that's also going to come up in something else we watched this week this was i have to say we had one movie left for the week and it was your mystery pick and i was like please pick something that keeps the theme and you did all mm-hmm. five movies fo- movies all, all five movies we watched all five movies we watched are practical effects focused yeah all five of them yeah um and that's pretty cool very cool but i understand that using digital effects can probably be a lot cheaper and a lot more of a time save than practical effects, but I'm with you. I, I'm i just such a sucker for them when they're done well, and I love them so much. Something I did not know about this movie, though, is like I'm just kind of like American Werewolf in London, classic mm-hmm. horror movie. I didn't realize that it leaned really heavy on the comedy of comedy horror. Mm-hmm. It was actually like really funny, and I... I should have expected that because John Landis kind of has done a few comedies and like yeah, that's kind of his jam. Gross comedies. Yes. Let's say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's kind of his background. So I don't know why I didn't kind of put two and two together, but so I was a real um, IMDb trivia person this week. Um, and a lot of the movies we watched this week had really long trivia pages. One of them I gave up on. I was like, I can't read this all. Um, <laughs> But one of the things I read about American Werewolf in London is that when they were looking for financing, many financers thought it was, quote, too frightening to be a comedy and too funny to be a horror film. Mm. 
But John Landis has said, and I can't say the whole quote because it would spoil the film, but he he has been quoted as saying it's not a comedy. People keep calling it a comedy. It is very funny, I hope, but it is a horror film. We meet these guys in a truckload of sheep. This is not subtle. And then a line that I can't say. And then this is not really a happy tale. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I like that distinction he's making with it is a funny film, but it's not a comedy. Yeah. Which starts to get into that. You know, I'm teaching Macbeth right now to two classes and I'm about to start Hamlet that like comedy versus tragedy is an archetypal thing. Like how what makes a comedy is how it ends. What makes a tragedy is how it ends. Um, But it certainly is a funny movie. You know what it also is? What? It's a sexy movie. It's very sexy. This was a way, way sexier movie than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. David Naughton, who plays um, the lead role, I think he spends like over 50% of the movie naked. Yeah. And I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> yeah. say, he's got a he's got a great, he's got a great bod. Even, got a great bod. Got, got a great face. Well, even like Alex, um, played by Jenny Agutter, like she's babe as well. So a couple couple sexy tidbits here. Um, there's a scene early in the film that's kind of not kind of it is inappropriate where a nurse says she took a peek at his genitals um, and asks if he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. But in real life, David Naughton isn't or wasn't circumcised. And so because of that one line, they could never actually show his genitals on screen oh, <laughs> because yeah. it said he was circumcised, but he's not. Um, I love that that is what they painted themselves into the corner. Yeah. With. Oh, shoot. We can't show his <laughs> genitals. Um, another, but this is a detail that I think is very, very sweet. So I guess that, um, where, where is this one? Uh, Naughton had been an usher um, for a theater in England mm-hmm. when the actress who played Alex, uh, Jenny Aguder, was uh, in, the, in the play Equus. And he so saw her perform that role every night. And I guess he had a total crush, quote, total crush on her then. And this was before they were cast in this film. Oh, man. That's very cute. Very sweet. That is. That's wholesome. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I really. And he, like, he just said that she was like a total... Um, like super, like superstar and professional and just like really good at what she did. And that was fun for him. That's great. Something else that this movie did really well, you know, but even both of us knowing what was going to happen and we're waiting for, you know, specific scenes that we've seen before, it still was very suspenseful mm-hmm. and did it very, very well. There was just these scenes of tension where like you kind of know what is going to happen, but still it just kind of builds and, puts you on edge and and because this movie is so tight like it is very it just it drops you in things happen at a you know pretty pretty great pace the story unfolds you get everything you need and then it wraps up like perfectly one of the best endings i've ever oh, seen oh yeah because of that it just makes it this really great tight contained story that i want to revisit over and over again I also was really excited to see Griffin Dunn in this because I love him in This Is Us. Yeah. His character of Uncle Nicky in This Is This Is Us is like probably one of my favorite characters ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also am a, I mean, who isn't? But I am a big fan of um, Joan Didion's writing. And she was married to Griffin Dunn's uncle. And there's a lot of tragedy in Joan Didion and the Dunn's lives that she explores in her memoirs the year of magical thinking and blue nights 
And so seeing like a young Griffin Dunn and kind of knowing what he was going through in his personal life at the time, like with his, his sister being murdered and um, yeah, like lots of stuff happens in the future. And then like knowing where he's at when he plays This Is Us and he just seems like this really, this guy who has a really good head on his shoulders for all the things that he's been through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just really, really enjoyed getting to watch him when he was young. And yeah. he's so, so good in it. For not be like, definitely playing a supporting role. And given everything you just mentioned about his personal life, he does not phone in his performance. And like, he actually gets a lot to play with that's really fun here. And I think would be really fun. And it's got to be, I don't even know what you're, was going through your head, whether you're a filmmaker or if you're an actor. Do you know that you're being, that you're creating something that's going to be iconic? I mean, I, so there's a lot of stuff online about how Rick Baker, who did the effects, um, and do you know that this was the first movie to ever win an Academy Award for Best Makeup? First movie ever? It was, the, yes, because it was the first year that they had that category. Oh, really? But this was the first film to win when that category was created. And so Rick Baker, he... That's awesome. There was all of this... Um, Difficulty between him and John Landis because John Landis wanted to make this movie and Rick Baker had agreed to be a part of it, but it was um, taking a while to get going. And so he went off to do The Howling for John Carpenter. Oh. And then John Landis got all the financing and everything he needed and Rick Baker, and he was like, you said you'd do this with me and now you're off doing this other werewolf movie. And so Rick Baker actually left The Howling and came to American Werewolf in London, but his like, not understudy, but like assistant stayed on The Howling because from what I understand, that we haven't seen The Howling, but it is also kind of revered for its yes. effects. Yes, and Rick Baker was really the the man behind that as well, at least initially. <laughs> and then he left it in yeah. the hands of someone he was working with. Um, and then, I don't know if you know this, I didn't, it's all IMDb trivia. Um, based on seeing this film, Michael Jackson got the entire to do thriller yeah oh, the, like he got the team it's rick baker and john landis who did thriller Frick, so man. rick baker did the special effects john landis directed it like thrill the thriller video is iconic and because it's because of the creature effects exactly god damn so, is rick baker still alive i do not know but i bet that wikipedia can that guy is freaking doing the lord's work i tell you and something that's really cool is he said he he really thought about that transformation scene and he decided to approach it from a scientific viewpoint. So what's very different in this versus the howling, even though we haven't seen the howling, is that in the howling, the werewolves are bipedal. And mm-hmm. in this, they are like Qu- on all fours. Qu- quadrupedal. quadrupedal. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> um, and so when Rick Baker was approaching, like, what is this going to look like? He said he he looked at his dog and he looked at a human and he looked at their skeletons and like looked into this. And decided it would just be like basically a lengthening and an elongating. Um, and some quotes I have from him, like he, he wanted to focus on this idea of elongation mm-hmm. and that he thought Perfect. it would be visceral, painful, that it was going to hurt. He wanted it to be horrifying, but also morbidly funny, funny, peculiar, funny, haha, tragic, raw, terrible, torturous, grotesque of all these things, yet fascinating rather than repulsive. That was his goal. <sighs> and like, Friggin' goal achieved. I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. that the fa- the infamous transformation scene. I I don't think I ever realized because we only seen it in snippets. Is that like it's playing like this old timey version of Blue Moon? I think in the background. So it's kind of like this joyful song that's playing while David Naughton is just acting his ass off to portray exactly that. That it's painful. 
that it's just like this very visceral thing that this idea of elongation that he's his body is literally like kind of ripping itself apart mm-hmm. to conform to this new werewolf form. Brilliant. Love and it. he, I guess when Rick Baker first met David Naughton, he just looked at him and said, I'm very sorry for you <laughs> because he knew. I got big plans for yeah, you, Yeah, he guy. knew how much work and like, like that it would be uncomfortable and that there'd be hours in the makeup chair. And I guess he spent a lot of hours in like a hole in the floor with his like head out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so cool. Do you know why David Naughton was cast for this? No. He was in Dr. Pepper commercials. Oh, hell Yeah. <laughs> That's and awesome. I, I haven't gone to watch them yet because I figure we should watch them together because I wanted to surprise you with this piece of information. But that's where John Landis saw him and he just like called him up and was like, I want you to be in my movie. Is it? I wonder if it's because he loved him or if he just like kept seeing Dr. Pepper commercials. <laughs> no, I, think he, I think he thought that he would have that like handsome leading man look and be like this mm-hmm. charming kind of all-American boy in London. Um but because I haven't seen the commercials, I'm not exactly sure the reference, but I guess there's something about like Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper. And so when they finished filming in the same like cadence and template as what's in the Dr. Pepper commercials, the whole cast stood around uh, David Naughton and just shouted, I'm a werewolf, I'm a werewolf, I'm a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to watch those. Uh, those will be quite funny. That's funny. Um, can you guess what Griffin Dunn and David Naughton kept from the film? is it something really cool very simple but very cool i think was it like their backpacks their jackets no yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're great jackets and they're like color-coded to them um yeah they were they had a, the two of them had a great chemistry together i thought yeah it, it was this very what felt like very accurate relationship between two young two young men two young adults that are like still figuring stuff out but they've been buds for a while Mm -hmm. and there's like a kinship there and a a trust and when things start getting a little bit hairy no pun intended that like (laughs) they kind of start leaning on each other like in a very like kind of coupley kind of way just like what do you want to do what do you want to do and the opening scene of just like the two of them talking and kind of like shooting the shit it really establishes that so well. I, I thought that this was like a really strong script. Like I mm-hmm. I love words um, and I've been really thinking about dialogue in film and then like how that is narratively constructed. And I just really, really liked what this film did with that. There's a lot of falling in love really fast, but other than that. Yeah, classic. You know, I, I mean, I would fall in love with both of them too, so. But it's so tight. Again, like the story is so tight. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, it was, it was very impressive there's a scene in a subway that i thought was one of like the best scenes i've seen in a horror film i really liked it mm-hmm. um and i guess that john landis had like there was even more sex and even more violence but he like had to cut cut it down a bit for you know ratings and censors and all of that yeah. and he has some regrets about it i would be interested in seeing like an uncut version but i um i really like what what they accomplished yeah um, Frank Oz has a little cameo here and he's done some cameos in other John Landis movies. But do you know what Frank Oz is from? Um, Muppets. He's done a lot of Muppets. Do you know what other iconic character he's also done? The David Bowie movie? The Labyrinth? Uh, I don't know about that. You just tell he was, me. I think he was part of Dark Crystal, but he's also the voice and the puppeteer of Yoda. Oh, I, I actually did not know that. And he's also the director of Little Shop of Horrors. How did I not know that? I don't know. <laughs> he wasn't involved with um 
Never ending story though. Mm, Probably not. That yeah, was like very German. That. I wanted to bring it up just because he has a little cameo here and you can just hear like his, when is his it? Muppet's voice in the hospital. He's like the American consulate guy that like comes <laughs> in. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Um, and another just like really great touch in this movie is I just love that all the songs have the word moon in the title mm-hmm. and there's three different versions of blue moon played throughout the film. It's just like, I love how tongue in cheek it is, but it doesn't, like it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it does take itself seriously. Yeah, it's, you know, in that financer saying it's too frightening to be a comedy and too funny to be a horror film, but it takes both of those things incredibly seriously in, to create its own type of film, which mm-hmm. I think, you know, we really like films like that that are in that vein still today. And I love that this film does it all the way to the end. Like the end credits say, you know, that little spiel that all movies have to have about any resemblance to any person living or dead, but it says living dead or undead. Yeah. Um, and then it also has a, like congratulations for like a royal wedding. And do you know why? <laughs> no. It's because there's this scene where he insults a bunch of royals. <laughs> where he like says a bunch of really, <laughs> so they really that, like, intense things. It was meant to be an apology, particularly because there's like a homophobic slur used against no, yeah. a royal person. And that's the person whose wedding they were congratulating them on, on their right heterosexual wedding but uh, i i do find that cheeky and funny as yeah. well um ridiculous oh man i i can't wait to watch this again yeah i agree just talk, even just this conversation has made me love it even more um, um also like metro cinema if you want to play it sometime if you're please. listening we would love to go and watch it on the big screen yeah big time how to make you feel actually so invested in like this like david's story yes like what he's going through emotionally psychologically like while he's away from home, I think is a really interesting part of that. So I was just really invested in his character, which is always thumbs up for me. Mm -hmm. But then I was just obsessed with the practical effects. Like I know I had seen them before, but seeing the entirety of them in action, having that character mixed with like just the pure ingenious work of the practical effects, slam dunk. How about you? Yeah, I just felt invested in everything, in every aspect from yeah the effects to the story to the characters. Um, and it it felt it felt so good to just finally see this and ch- like check it off the list and know that this is now in the rotation of like some of my favorite oh, horror movies. We've got quite the rotation. I'm like, we haven't even touched most of the things we usually watch in October. Mm hmm. All right, let's get to your first mystery movie pick of the week. Okay, I was really excited to pick this. It was something that I have seen as a kid, and it freaked me the hell out. And I really just thought it would be super cheesy. Like, I thought it would be a really bad movie. I was expecting it to be bad and for Mm -hmm. us to have a laugh about it and make fun of it. And we own it, but when I grabbed the DVD out, um, it was still wrapped in plastic with a $5 Walmart (laughs) sticker on it. Um, and I picked Arachnophobia. Hell yeah. 1990 film. Actually came out two days before the day I was born. I was born on July 20th, 1990. For those of you who want to like send me birthday presents. Um, <laughs> it's probably also why you don't really like, like spiders. spiders. It, it was born into my astrology. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's a horror thriller comedy. We were really into some horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, Directed and written by somebody whose name I didn't write down. Oh, look who the look who's the, making uh, errors now. Look who has the shoe on the other. My shoe foot. is on the other foot. It's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I really struggle with uh, the spelling of arachnophobia, to be honest. Arachno. It was directed by Frank Marshall um, and written by Don Jacoby, Al Williams, and Wesley Strick. It is starring the lovely Jeff Daniels as Ross Jennings, Julia Sands as Dr. James Atherton, Harley Jane Kozak as Molly Jennings, and John Goodman as Delbert McClintock. John Goodman, the ultimate <sighs> dad. Ultimate dad. Synopsis, a species of South American killer spider hitches a lift to the U.S. <laughs> in a coffin and starts to breed and kill. Awesome. So neither of us are big fans of spiders. Nah. Both of us had seen this movie when we were children and haven't revisited it in adulthood. Yeah. What did you think of arachnophobia? I mean, first of all, I put this in my letterboxd review, but it is single-handedly responsible for teaching me the longest word I knew as a kid. <laughs> arachnophobia. And, and held on to that for so long. Um, yeah, like you said, I primarily watched this as a kid and I primarily watched it on TV specifically. Like mm. I rented it. I don't to be honest, I don't even know if I rented it. I think it was almost exclusively always watched on TV and it gave me the chili willies then and it continued to give me the chili willies now. I think there were multiple times when we were watching this where I'm just like, yeah, your whole body. (laughs) I mean, you're six foot three and your limbs are long and all of a sudden you're just like, your arms are out and I'm like, what's going on? You're like, I just, Um, yeah, I also, I think I watched this as a kid once and never again. Right, yeah. But there are some scenes that have just imprinted themselves in my mind. And then I wasn't even sure if they were real or not. But yes, there is a scene in a shower. Yeah, that's what sticks with me the most. And there's a scene. I I said as we were watching, I'm like, I remember there being a scene where there's just spiders all over the wall. Like, and I don't know if I'm making that up. And unfortunately, I was not making that up. (laughs) Yeah. And it is horrifying. Um, So, yeah. Yep. but you're totally right. Like I was kind of expecting when I when I saw the title come up, I'm like, okay, this is just going to be like a fun romp, like not much to it. It's great. Yeah, like it is well shot, well acted, well scripted. I don't know why it's not as well known or as iconic. I I'm teaching Pleasantville right now and I mentioned like Jeff Daniels, you might know him perhaps from Arachnophobia and just blank stares from my students. But they will have heard of Jaws and they'll have heard of Jurassic Park and they'll have heard of, I don't know, whatever else. Mm -hmm. I just feel like perhaps this hasn't lasted because people are too scared of spiders. Like there's probably so many people who are like, I'm not going to watch that. Yeah. Like I wonder, I I almost wonder if it's like two camps. Like it's like, I'm not going to watch the stupid spider movie. Like spiders aren't scary or I really don't like spiders. So So I'm not even going to touch it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we need justice for arachnophobia. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think it needs to have its day in the sun. And I think if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. And then you should sing its praises because it's actually so good. There's just like really strong characterization. Mm-hmm. It's really interestingly shot. Like there's some real filmmaking going into this. Like it doesn't just seem like, ah, we're trying to make a blockbuster. It seems like these are people who wanted to make a movie that they would be proud of. It's 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 good small town politics. Yeah. It's and it's really like the tension in this is really well created. Mm-hmm. And it uses practical effects. It uses real spiders. And then when, you know, for the few scenes that it couldn't, it uses animatronic spiders. And if this had been a CGI movie, it would be really bad. Like going back and looking at CGI from the 1990s, if they had made all those spiders 
CGI. It would be like that terrible scene with the flies in Hereditary that is so cheesy. Yeah, like there's a there's a sequence in the next film we're going to talk about that has some CG spiders. And I'm just like after arachnophobia. Yeah, it's come on. Get out. Don't like don't even put those in there. Mistake. Actually, it seems like it was inspired by Jaws, to be honest. Like it has like a Mm -hmm. similar kind of, you know, fish out of water, pun intended, comes to a new town to have a new position and that person has a fear of this thing and, you know, it feels inspired by it. Mm-hmm. And for some, you know, I, I don't, I'm very, very skittish of spiders. They like other bugs, not really. Mm-hmm. And like other reptiles and creepy crawlies, not really. Not that spiders are reptiles, but you know what I mean? I'm not scared of snakes the way some people are, but spiders just really get me. And I'm like, is this my jaws? Like, did this do what jaws, jaws did for, for the you? Ocean. But for you, you don't swim. Yeah, You don't swim because of Jaws. Am I so frightened of spiders because of arachnophobia? And I don't like to go camping. I don't like to go in outhouses because I'm just like, oh, what if there's a spider in there? Well, like, that's the thing. Like, spiders are such a real everyday thing. Like, Jaws is only, like, the sharks are only in the ocean. Spiders are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's different kinds of them. Mm-hmm. And there's many different kinds of them. And they can hitch rides in coffins. Apparently. And then breed. <laughs> you know, I... I don't know. I feel like this movie was like meant to be a part of my journey because it came out, mm-hmm. you know, before I was born. And what's so cool is that they used real spiders. And when we watched it, we were like, oh, man, 1990, they probably were just like, those spiders probably were all killed. No, I found out that, quote, the safety of spiders was paramount throughout the entire production. Um, so awesome. they, like in any scenes where a spider is squished, it was like a hollowed out object. So like a shoe that that was like hollow. So it just went over top of it. And then all of the like sound effects were done after and the dead looking spider either was they did have dead spiders, but they were all dead spiders that died of natural causes. Mm. They were very like specific about that Um, for anything where, you know, it had to be more intense, like spiders being lit on fire and electrocuted and stuff that was used with animatronic spiders, which were created by Jamie Hyman of Mythbusters. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been on uh, VFX artists react but this was one of his first films that he worked on. That's awesome. Which is really cool. That's very cool. Um, and even to get the spiders there. So first of all, they had to decide what like kind of spider they wanted to use. Yeah. And so they did tests. They they got different types of spiders. Like screen tests for spiders? Not quite. They ran each <laughs> each species of spider through 10 tests. <laughs> oh, whoa. Including a speed test because the faster the spider, the scarier it is. Of a course. climbing ability test and a reaction to heat and cold test. And the gold medalist was the Delina spider, a harmless but sinister looking spider. And they all had to get little passports, which was a joke. But they had to jump through hoops to get the 300, initial 300 of the Delina spider um, from New Zealand to the US. And then they were they got more of them in and they had to like meet criteria to get those spiders here. So it was quite the endeavor. And then they, they had... Um, like spider experts, spider wranglers on set to make sure that they were never mishandled or mistreated. How they got them to act is they did things like have vibrating wires that would that they wouldn't cross just mm. to like keep them in a certain amount of area or they would use lemon pledge furniture wax to keep them like in a certain area because they wouldn't walk on that. Um, and they never like sprayed them with like if they did spray them with water, it was like a certain amount and then they stopped. Um very interesting. I, there's just like, yeah, there's some sequences in this movie before we had read up on that. 
that I was like, how are they getting the spiders to do this? Like through that. And then spider wranglers there to make sure that they're treated well. Uh, I mean, I wonder, did you happen to read anything about like how the cast felt yes. about so lo- being surrounded by real this. spiders? So I guess Jeff Daniels was quoted as saying he's fine with small spiders, but that anyone in their right mind would have issues with spiders as huge as Big Bob, which is like the name that's the like the way our cat's name is Thompson. The big spider was named Big Bob. But John Goodman said, I don't have any problem. We see each other eye to eye. Well, two eyes to their 16, but we get along swell. Oh, gosh. Also love this. Steven Spielberg agreed to executive produce on one of his conditions being John Goodman had to be cast as uh, Delbert. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. He like that was a requirement. I love that. And then Steven Spielberg <laughs> was he was in the passenger side footwell in one of the like scenes with John Goodman in his like um, extermination vehicle. And I guess he like leaned over and said, only we will know that I was here. But then John Goodman said it in an interview. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like so cute and so sweet. I don't know. This movie, se- it seems like they had fun making it. Mm-hmm. I, d- I didn't read any more about like any of the like younger cast or any of the other cast. If like, like I would be freaking out because I bet you oh, yeah. people had spiders. Well, like 300, you said like 300. 300 for the initial shipment. And then over 300. Yeah. So like over 300 spiders that are around at any given time. Yeah. Like I was saying, I mean, spiders just, they do such a good job of making it feel like a real threat. I mean, it they're they're essentially like a one-hit kill. Mm-hmm. Like if a spider gets to you, like you're toast. Mm-hmm. And that is terrifying because yeah, like you said, like it can be lurking like under a toilet seat. It can crawl into your room at nighttime, like when you're asleep. Like you literally have to be fully on all the time. And these freaking spiders jump. So like they're <laughs> they're on the offensive. Well, because this was the species that beat those 10 tests they were the gold medalist right they were good at jumping they were fast they were and they use that to such great effect like how do they do such a great thing in this film of like you see the spider and like dramatic irony used to such great effect because oh, yeah, we the audience yeah. will like know the spider is in the lampshade and then we see somebody going to turn on the lamp yeah. or we've seen the spider skitter into the room and they play with our expectations too. Like it has a good sense of humor, but not in a cheesy way. Like this isn't flubber. <laughs> yeah. You know, this isn't even Jumanji. Like this is just spiders are scary and we're taking that seriously, but not in like a cheese ball anaconda way or eight legged freaks way. Like, it takes them seriously the way Jaws takes sharks seriously. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, maybe unfairly to spiders because spiders don't, as they even explain in this, like even with a black widow that in my mind, I've been taught to believe if a black widow bites you, you're dead. Yeah. That's not quite true. Right. They say yeah. that like the only time they've ever seen a black widow death is when it was like multiple, multiple, multiple bites by multiple black widows. So, you know, spiders aren't just killing you with one little bite, but damn, are they creepy. I gotta say, like, just as a little sidebar, something that really grinds my gears is when people are like, oh, the snake or the spider or the venomous creature is more afraid of you than you are of it. It's like, yeah, but if I'm scared of it, I'm not going to poison it. It's going to poison me. (laughs) So it can fuck off. (laughs) I would like to point out to you, Elliot, that tonight we're going to a friend's house to watch two movies and that friend has a pet spider. I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We did we we've it's fine. we've fed cats 
<laughs> that was a weird way to say that. Weird brag. We, we have, <laughs> we've taken care of our friend's cats before when she's been away. Did we have to feed the spider? I feel like we did. And I didn't. Did we have to feed the spider? Or did I just have to like pretend the spider didn't exist? Maybe you were just so in your head of like, yeah, I'll feed the cats. Oh God, will I have to feed the spider? Well, because in my head, I'm like, is this going to be a home alone situation where like I do something to like, or like we get in there and the cat's knocked over the spider and now the spider's loose in the house. Oh God. Like, yeah, I am. Um, so we're talking about this the night that we're going to go watch two movies with our friend who's going to be on the show next week. Pretty exciting. Um, and there's a spider though. And I'm scared of spiders. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe unfairly. The last, the last point I just want to make, and you've already kind of touched on it, is just like Jeff Daniels as the stand in chief Brody and the John Goodman as the stand in Quint. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> They're amazing in this. Like, and I remember I was kind of surprised by how little John Goodman is actually in this. I kind of remember him as being like one of the main big cheeses when I was watching this as a kid, but he actually plays a a really kind of subdued role, but whenever he's on screen, he's awesome. Oh, he's he's so so funny. And he's so funny, but Jeff Daniels is great. Like he always has a level head Mm -hmm. and he's not like bumbly or anything like that. And he's, there's just like some really, (laughs) there's some really great lines. One of my favorite lines is at the beginning of the movie where one of the kids is like, dad, there's a spider. And he's like, well, Let's go find that spider and then get your mom to kill the spider. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so good. He plays it so well. And he's a really good actor. Um, I know most people probably think Jeff Daniels and just go to Dumb and Dumber. I've never seen those movies and I'm not gonna. But um he's he's a really great actor. He was a really great get for this. Um I loved it. I I highly recommend this movie. Like if you're just if you're down for if you're down for a little creature feature. And for something that's done really, really well, and if you're a fan of Jaws and that sort of storytelling, I think that you'll really dig arachnophobia. Because hashtag justice for arachnophobia. (laughs) It deserves more attention than it's gotten. It has a high Rotten Tomatoes rating. Because it's good. Because it's good. Um, How did arachnophobia make you feel? Um, Pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew that I liked it as a kid and it freaked me out, but watching it now as an adult... I was so happy with how how good it was and how fun it was, and I I'll watch it much more regularly. Like I I like I don't know if I'd revisit it every year, but I definitely throw it on around Halloween season. I'd like to th- show it to one of our nibblings at some point, but we'd probably get in oh, trouble. Yeah. I feel like our niece would really like it. Our oldest niece, you think? I do. Yeah, I think, and I think she she pro- she's kind of a troll, and I love that about her. If she watched this, she'd probably make a bunch of fake spiders and like throw them on her parents and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, she's a little shyster. And uh, yeah, it just also made me feel really nostalgic. Um, it just, it kind of, because I always used to watch it on TBS Superstation and it kind of, kind of triggered that part of my brain that wanted to go down a TBS Superstation rabbit hole. And I found clips on YouTube of old commercials and <laughs> shows. Like we, I used to always used to watch Dinner in a Movie, which is like, they would show a movie, but they'd also have this cooking show that's making something <laughs> themed to whatever the movie was. And I loved it. I watched it every weekend and it was just like, yeah, it's Friday night to spend with Paul and Annabelle. <laughs> did, did you ever cook what they were cooking? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, how to make you feel? Um, so this is the funny thing. Sometimes I feel like you and I are very, very quickly approaching our 13 year, 13 year anniversary yeah. of being a couple. <laughs> and um, oh, a couple. Couple. 
Sometimes I think we've just melded into one person because I wrote pleasantly surprised. Hell yeah. Uh, but I also said it gave me the chilly willies. Like, oh, yeah. Like this movie will get under your skin. You'll probably feel like there are spiders crawling on you afterwards. I was very itchy after this. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but worth it because, and I'm going to say it again, justice for arachnophobia. It is a good movie. Yeah. It's like genuinely a good movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Take us somewhere else. So, yeah, I wanted to... This is very unintentional that I continued the werewolf theme. Yes. (laughs) But it's kind of interesting to go from one of the most revered werewolf movies to something that just came out. Um, We watched Marvel Studios' Werewolf by Night, which just came out in 2022. It's an action-adventure comedy horror. Um, (laughs) More comedy horror. (laughs) Um, It was directed by Michael Giacchino, who is actually... A primarily a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done some some killer some killer scores. He only has three directing credits to his name and just a ton of composing. And I mean, just to list a few, he's done the Batman, Spider Man, No Way Home, Thor, uh, uh, Up, Cloverfield, The Incredibles, Jurassic World movies. Like he scored a lot. He's, yeah. he's done a lot. You of stuff. love the score for the Batman. Yeah, it's killer. Um, it was written by so the teleplay was by Heather Quinn. And Peter Cameron, and then it's based off of Werewolf by Night and the character of Jack Russell, which was created by Jerry Conway. It was starring Gail Garcia Bernal, who I love. Yeah, I like him a lot too. Um, as Jack Russell, uh, Laura Donnelly as Elsa, Harriet Sansom Harris as Verusa, and Kirk R. Thatcher as Joven. The synopsis is: It follows a lycanthrope superhero who fights evil using the abilities given to him, given to him by a curse brought on by his blood. By his bloodline. What do you think of Werewolf by Night? The aesthetic was real great. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I am experiencing Marvel fatigue. Yes. Um, for a while, we were so all in on Marvel. Like I had drunk the Marvel Kool Aid so hard, and I still really like phases one to three. Would it be called? Yeah. Um. But I've been struggling with phase four Mm -hmm. and it's kind of been a series of duds in a row. Like Eternals was better than I thought it would be, but it didn't stick and I didn't love it. Was really disappointed in Multiverse of Madness. Never finished Moon Knight. Haven't been compelled to watch She-Hulk. And so I'm just kind of, you know, and there's some things like Loki I liked, but I didn't like as much as I thought I would. It seems like they have these big plans, but it's slow, slow to get there. It is slow to get there. So I wasn't jumping at the bit to watch this. You were more keen to watch it than I was, but mm-hmm. I did want to see it. I'm not opposed to seeing it. I'll watch almost anything. Um, but I liked it more than I thought I would, considering my Marvel fatigue. Like I think the fact that it's just this contained fun thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel it was necessarily trying to be like, oh, and wink, wink, this is how I tie into other things. And it just kind of existed for itself, mm-hmm. both aesthetically and narratively. Yeah. Was really fun. And it kind of gave me, um, I know I've, I've already mentioned it, but it kind of gave me like board game vibes, like kind of like werewolf mm. the game. Yeah. Or like Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is like my favorite game of all time. Like, it gave me that vibe of, like, a contained story with, like, all of these characters who almost feel like the characters you would take on in a board game. Yeah. Like, I'm Elsa Bloodstone. I'm Werewolf by Night. And then, like, you just play out this, like, fun story. Yeah. And I liked that. 
Yeah, I get that. And the I feel like the runtime lends itself well to that kind of storytelling too, because it's only like it's less than an hour. Mm-hmm. Like it's like 50, 55 minutes or something like that. Do you feel because I kind of I kind of feel like it could have gone longer, like I could have gone for a full length, but I also do like that it is a tighter runtime. So for you with what you're saying, like, do you like how do you feel in that regard? Do you think you want to see something longer or do you think that it's good for how long it was just like this kind of getting get out? I liked that because I'm fatigued of Marvel. I'm fatigued of 10 episode series. I'm fatigued of one thing ends, another thing begins. I'm fatigued of everything tying into everything else, but mm-hmm. not in an interesting way anymore. Right. It's just like, oh, wink, wink, here's Daredevil. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, I liked that it was just like, here's 50 minutes of fun. Yeah. Like, I didn't need a movie. I get, I get it. I get that people liked it and they're like, oh, Marvel did something new and I wish it had been a movie. Yeah. Now, one of the things I've been hearing is... <laughs> I've been hearing like I'm (laughs) I'm in the know. One of the things I read um, is that so when there's the transformation scene, the werewolf is very much um, it's practical effects and very much looks like like the original Wolfman. Wolfman. Yes. And people are wondering, should the character of Jack Russell should like played by Gail Garcia Bernal go into other properties if they'll maintain that same look or if that was just for this special and he'll look different in what do you know if they're supposed to have him appear oh of course they're going to elliot it's marvel (sighs) but we don't need it's okay to just make a thing and leave it be but they won't i mean they put man thing in it for that reason right because they're they're introducing monsters into the mcu i mean okay where I can get on board with this is if Marvel is just wanting to kind of do a universal monsters offshoot. Oh, no, it'll be I, like we don't need freaking. See, like, you're fatigued, too. I can hear it in your voice. I, I am. I, yeah, I totally agree with you. But like, I don't need freaking Bucky showing up to fight the werewolf. <laughs> I will never say no to Bucky. <laughs> so please, please don't slander Bucky in front of me. But like, I, I'm. I'm totally cool with them having like a monster cinematic Marvel cinematic universe that is totally separate. It won't be. It'll never be. I I need it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll call up Kevin. (laughs) Yo, big Kev. Can we have, um, so that's been a a point of conversation is like when inevitably Jack Russell shows up in not a universal monster, but in a like guardians of the galaxy Christmas special or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> will they then not have his look be in like an homage to older werewolf films, but instead bring him into more of like a Groot or, you know what I mean? I don't know, man. All what right. do you want? Do you want them to stick with that, but in like a Thor movie? I said it. I don't want him in any of that. <laughs> like, I, I want, just don't want it. You I want, want it in it? its own separate universe that stays on its own thing and uh, like just everything else can fuck off. Okay. Um, That's it then. But so, yes, I, I ha- like, I really like this. I thought it was really great. I, I was a sucker for the cinematography and the old timey monster movie aesthetic. Like that was just working for me. It did work for me. I thought it was a little dark though. Like, like, like not dark tonally like just visually visually like, tough it, to it, see at times yeah um but I, I think they could have but i like 
I <laughs> keep going. I feel, I agree with you too on just kind of the structure of it. Felt kind of gamey, like it gave me like kind of Harry Potter, Goblet of Fire, Triwizard Tournament. Not vibe. mad about that though. No, and that's what makes it really fun. And you have these really over the top kind of characters that yeah are kind of evocative of the people in a board game like betrayal or you know these personalities or whatever but the thing that did it for me that will stick with me forever is the transformation scene i feel like if you're making a werewolf something that the one thing you absolutely have to nail is a transformation scene and the way they did it in this was so freaking cool i loved it i've heard some complaints about it what have you heard (laughs) i just one person who I really, I really respect and I really like said MCU are cowards for the choice they made. Oh, f- step off. <laughs> because they're like, they have all the money in the world and they chose to do what they did. But I actually liked that because I think it's so we've good. seen American Werewolf in London. We've seen the best of this already. And I liked that they took it in a different direction. And I actually found it quite horrifying. Yes. To, to make the choice they made. We're dancing around what they did for spoiler free content. But... I like I actually really liked it. Yeah. And I had read that comment prior to seeing this. And so I when it happened, I was like, oh, I don't think again, really respect this person, tend to really agree with them. And they might just be being tongue in cheek. But I didn't see it as something that was done out of fear or whatever. I thought it was an intentional choice to say we're gonna do this in a different way. Yeah. So like I, I might sound like a big grumpy gus this when talking about this, but I just, I feel like Marvel, who, you know, really goes heavy on the visual effects and the computer generated stuff. I I don't, I feel like because of the aesthetic that they set up in this, I feel like showing a fully, which would have for sure been fully CGI transformation scene, would not have been as effective. And like you said, the best transformation scene where we see it happening on camera, I feel like those have been made. And you can just go and revisit those. And I think the choice that they made here for the transformation scene is so stylistic and so cool and subdued. And unlike anything that we've seen for transformation scenes in werewolf films to this point, I loved it so much. And it's what's going to stick with me forever from this. And I think, like we talked about earlier, because there's this pr- these practical effects or this choice to do things differently and not have it be pure CGI. The things that are CGI, like the character of Ted, who I think is sometimes like there's partial practical, partial CGI. Just I thought it looked good. I, again, I, yeah, I thought yeah. it looked good because not everything is CGI. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, I'm also really interested in like the bloodstone and like learning more about that. So like it did intrigue me. I would engage with this in other ways, but I'm still like Marvel. I'm you don't have me sold right now. And you used to, you've lost me. And this didn't like bring me back into the fold yet. Yeah. So you, you have to work a little harder, man, the freaking, but good, good attempt. Marvel loves their stones. They love their magical stones. Well, they, <laughs> they do. The, um, the ma- magical stones worked for me last time. Yeah. So maybe they'll work for me this time too. Yeah. I don't uh, I don't know what's coming next for this little horror special subsection of Marvel stuff. I, I I like this. I'd be down for a whole horror cinematic universe from them. 
that doesn't intermingle with the already established MCU. Um, yeah, this was great. I had fun with it. How did it make you feel? It made me feel better about MCU properties for the first time in a long time. Yeah. But not in a head over heels way. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it, it, it left me feeling that, you know, I don't think quote unquote Marvel's back, but I feel like this was a really cool thing for them to do that kind of pushed outside of some of the stuff they've typically done. It was definitely a more artful approach to something that they were making. Um, and you know, it made me also kind of want more of this with the, with the caveat that I mentioned before of it being its own little universe. Um, yeah, I, I like when they dabble in horror because they did a little bit in what if, and they've done it here. I like when they kind of play with that, play in that genre a little bit, and they got the money to do some really cool stuff there. Granted, this was also the thing I mentioned when we were talking about arachnophobia of the spiders look really dumb in this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Let's go from something that was just okay to one of the best things ever made. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I zoned out a little bit there because I got so excited about. <laughs> talking about our next one and i just started like replaying the opening music and like as soon as i hear that like don't don't yeah. i get so excited yeah so i'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time i get it it's predictable i'm like i was emo light in high school i was goth light as a child i get it it's stereotypical but i friggin love beetlejuice <laughs> yeah i also love a nightmare before christmas i don't care come at me Beetlejuice is amazing. We watched Beetlejuice. <laughs> you said it three times. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, I did not do that on purpose. That <laughs> was good, though. Thank you. Uh, I came out in 1988, so two years before we were born. Um, we were born into a world where Beetlejuice already existed, and I am happier for it. It is a comedy fantasy horror. Mm-hmm. And f- little family. I'd throw family in there. And the IMDb didn't have it, but I'm throwing it in there cool myself. Cool families. Cool families. Directed by Tim Burton, my dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, written by Michael McDowell, Larry Wilson, and Warren Scarin. Starring Gina Davis. <laughs> Love her as Barbara. Alec Baldwin as Adam. Michael Keaton as Betelgeist or Beetlejuice. Catherine O'Hara as Delia and Winona Ryder, of course, as Lydia. The synopsis. The spirits of a deceased couple are harassed by an unbearable family <laughs> that has moved into their home and they hire a malicious spirit to drive them out. Mm-hmm. So, this movie is so good. I could watch this movie probably once a month. Yeah. Um, this was one of our, we watched this, I was looking at my letterbox, we watched this on Halloween last year. Yeah, last year we watched this, this Nightmare on Elm Street and John Carpenter's Halloween, I oh, think. Look at us. That's awesome. Yeah, last year Halloween was on a Sunday though, and today, today, <laughs> I wish Halloween was today. This year, Halloween is on a work day, so we won't be able to watch three movies. But also, we didn't have a podcast last year, and I'm like, I just want to watch ten movies a day, but we can't talk about all of that. So. <laughs> yeah. What was really exciting about this time watching Beetlejuice is it was in the cinema. Yeah. So Metro Cinema. Not a sponsor. <laughs> Just somebody we talk but about. But at this point, time. we might as well change the name to Metro Cinema Podcast. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. They do this really cool thing. Um, I think every Saturday, but if not every Saturday, many Saturdays, um, where they have a matinee show 
that they have under the banner of Real Family Cinema, R-E-E-L. And I believe it's children under 12 are free. Mm-hmm. And they have played some just absolute bangers. We mm-hmm. really, really wanted to take our oldest niece to this, but she had a birthday party to go to. Wah, wah. Uh, too popular for us. But we just went by ourselves. So we got to see Beetlejuice. It was the first time either of us have ever seen this in the theater. Mm-hmm. We've seen it independently and together so many times. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Beetlejuice? The experience of seeing it at Metro Cinema. So before I get into my thoughts on the film, I also wanted to just highlight as a, for the theater going experience is that it was pretty busy. Mm-hmm. A really good turnout. But we're kind of at the point now, especially you, you definitely take the reins on this, that if there's anybody even remote around us that's even remotely giving the vibe of, oh, they're just going to chat and be doinks throughout this whole thing. We're just going to move. Yep. And that happened, like the opening credits started and there was a few yahoos behind us that just like, oh, they're going to treat this like they're just watching this at home in their living room. Let's emscray and go sit somewhere else. Yep. Which so, is, yep. I just turned to right you call. and I said, I think those guys are going to talk through the whole movie. It's going to bother me. Let's go. Even though we usually like to be in the, is it called mezzanine? Yes. We usually like to be in the second level of the the theater. We decided to just run down those stairs and take a seat on the main floor. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we did. Yeah. I, I We're just, we go see so many movies now that it's just like, we're not going to deal with any no. of that. As far as Beetlejuice goes, this is one of my absolute favorites. Yeah. I love it as much as you do. Never watched it in the theater, so this was an absolute treat. And... Yeah, I've watched this a ton yeah, as a I've kid. Seen this movie so many times. So many times. But it's I think what it's so good for is this is one of the movies we've talked about in the past that is such a great intro to horror mm-hmm. for younger people. Mm-hmm. But it's also a good movie. <gasps> like it's not just like, oh, yeah. it was good for a 10-year-old. It's, it is a good movie. It is just hands down one of the best movies ever. It is clever. It is funny. It is scary. It is gross. It is sweet. It is quirky. It's like, the characters are so richly drawn. Mm-hmm. It's just like such a good movie. And like when I, every time I watch it as an adult, I appreciate different things about it that I didn't before. Like it's a movie you can revisit and, you know, relate to a different aspect of it. Like mm-hmm. maybe relate to the, like the difficulty of making your house, your dream home. Mm-hmm. Like they are working hard, Barbara and Adam to like make their house what they want it to be. Well, Man, I, I related to that this time because that's what you and I are going through Well, right it's now. so funny because it's like there are a couple that lives in a house that people think is too big for them. <laughs> they don't have kids. They're, they don't have kids. They're trying to re, like redo the interior design of it and they're spending a week vacation just working on their homes, which was what something we're doing in a couple of weeks here. Yeah. We just looked at each other. It's like, oh, God, we're Barbara and Adam. We've <laughs> yeah. become the characters we love from Beetlejuice. <laughs> Please don't let us die on our stay-at-home vacation. <laughs> yeah. But this is just, yeah, it's a really, really, really good movie. This was one, one of the reasons I really wanted to take our niece to this now, she's just about 11, is that we did watch this a lot with her when she was a toddler. And there's a video we have of her. I don't know if you were at home. I wasn't. Um, so it was just me and her and we were watching Beetlejuice. And she was such a ham. She is still such a ham, but she was such a ham as a toddler. And we were we we were just really, really, really close with her at that age. So she was her hammiest with us. Mm-hmm. And she's she's standing up and she's <laughs> the music intro music to Beetlejuice starts playing and her little feet just 
start dancing yeah to that like do 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 right like her feet are just going and then they like start going even more when it's like do 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 like it just it is wild and then every once in a while she's having such a good time she just turns to me and bursts out laughing yeah and she's got this toy that i got actually the day i was born toy stuffed animal it's a um police dog what kind of dogs are those like paw patrol what do you mean I got it the day I was born. It's a uh, it's a stuffed animal of a dog. Oh, like a German Shepherd? No, Doberman maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know dog breeds. I know cat breeds. Um, but she's got that in her hands and she's um playing it like an instrument. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great video. So I was really excited to uh, take her to it again, um, but we weren't able to do that because birthday parties. So, yeah. Yeah, and it was it was great too, and I think what a a testament to what a great movie this is, is seeing it in the theater with a crowd. Never done that before. So I feel like it elevated this. I know this movie so well. I know all of the jokes and the bits that are coming up, but seeing it with other people that are responding to it and laughing at it, like made it even funnier for me. Yeah. And laughing at parts that, um, I, maybe I don't usually laugh at as much and I'm like, yeah. oh, that like there's other people that like this is their favorite part, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Or like there's a person behind us who a couple times was like, ew, <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was really funny. Um, I have so many memories of this movie because I watched it so much as a kid. I've to- talked to you about this, but I can't not talk about this on the show. I have a memory of watching this. I believe I was in Sylvan Lake. My family used to like rent a cabin there, like a beach house there. Um, every summer for about a week and uh, I think that's where I was in my brain that's where I was and I was watching this with my two older sisters who one's three years older than me and one is six years older than me and I was pretty young but they were at an age where they were like thinking about who they were sexually attracted to and kind of performing that a little bit and I remember I was not yet at that age and it was one of the scenes where Adam is looking out the attic window Mm Mm-hmm. And we see him from behind. I remember them being like, oh, his butt. His butt <laughs> looks so good. And I just remember it making me so uncomfortable <laughs> that they were like, oh, Alec Baldwin's butt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why? Ew, butts. Why are we talking about butts at this point? <laughs> Stop talking about butts. And so now, like, they always think of that. Um, now, all that being said, Alec Baldwin is a total babe in this movie. Best he's ever looked. But I did not think that at the time. <laughs> so. uh, but yeah, Alec Baldwin's butt. If you're looking for a movie with a great butt shot. In some khakis. In some khakis. This movie. I mean, Gina D is no slouch herself. Oh, they're like, both. They're a gorgeous couple. Yeah. This is another like bisexual's dream movie because like mm-hmm. they're both total babes. Um, and so is Catherine O'Hara. Like she is so fun oh, in this. Man. Like there are so many shades of Moira, Moira in this. Like it's almost like Moira, but but darker, I guess. Dark Moira. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like her. The part she screams this line about like if you do not let me t- tear down this house or whatever, got it. <laughs> I don't. I can't remember the line, but it is. She screams it. It's so Moira. Yeah. Her oh. fashion is very Moira too. Yeah. At one point when they're like sitting around eating dinner, I don't, I always think this and I don't know if it's real. It looks like she has a glove tied up in her hair. She does. She also 
I remember reading this trivia. I always read the IMDb trivia even before we had this show. That was something I would do. And I remember reading the Beetlejuice trivia last time we watched this. So there's a um, sweater that the actor who plays her husband, who shall not be named because he's a bad guy, Mm -hmm. um, is wearing. And then later she's wearing it as pants. (laughs) (laughs) It's a red sweater. Oh, I love that. And it's so Moira. Like, it's so Moira. I... I love that Catherine O'Hara is in this. She's the voice of Sally in Nightmare Before Christmas. She's the mom in Home Alone. And then she's in Schitt's Creek. Like she's, and then like being in all of those like best in show and Mm -hmm. she's just iconic. I'm so happy that she's from Canada. She's great. I love her. If, you know, another thing, this movie is probably a big contributor of is putting Harry Belafonte back on like, top 40s lists when this came out both the score and the soundtrack are total bops like i'm just like you know how can you not be dancing along that's such a like that's such a funny choice to me of just like what music is adam always going to be listening to in this movie (laughs) it's like well harry belafonte definitely of course that's such it's just such a funny thing that that was a conversation i think it was the creatives had it was supposed to be something else and then along the way it changed um for the better and i guess tim burton wasn't convinced that like that scene like the possession scene Mm -hmm. should stay in the film and then it ended up being like oh it's iconic iconic scenes yeah it's yeah it's so good Let's talk about the big cheese himself a little bit. Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice. Um, so he's disgusting. He is. And what's interesting is for being like the titular character, he's barely in this. Oh, yeah. But he's just such a presence when he is. That's just it. Like as soon as he's on screen, he owns the scene. Yeah. And you are appalled by him, but you're also kind of mesmerized by him. Yeah. he's And you know, it's interesting because I, I, I didn't like him as a kid and I don't like no, he's him gross. now. And it, that was something interesting about seeing it in the theater is some of the people were laughing at some of the moments. Like he he sexually assaults Gina Davis. He kisses her without her consent. Yeah. And then he like mul- the multiple times he's like trying to look up women's skirts. And of course, there's a plot line with Winona Ryder that's really inappropriate. And people were like laughing at that. I've never I don't think I've ever laughed at it. I think I've always been uncomfortable by it. And I think mm-hmm. we are supposed to feel that way. Well, yeah. I mean, it's very apparent from whoever he's with, whether it be Lydia or Adam and Barbara, that they don't like what's happening. They don't mm-hmm. like him. No, nobody likes Beetlejuice. He's, he's an awful entity. Well, he, yeah, he's a cursed entity. Like people are literally trying to get him away from everyone living or dead. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. he's not, he's not a good guy. Um, but he's Michael Keaton does such a good job with him. And I guess yeah. Michael Keaton was very, involved in like what he looked like what he acted like what his backstory was um and you can see like that whole his whole he's giving it his all yeah and i have i have many a time seen like an iconic beetlejuice halloween costume mm-hmm. um we also when we went to new york for the first time we only been there once together Yes. Yeah. So when we went, we took a trip to New York when we were in our mid twenties. Oh yes. And we went. Did you forget about this? I did. <laughs> we went to this um, really cool restaurant. I believe called Beetle House. Th- like house. I think it's H A U S. Think you're right. And it's a Tim Burton themed restaurant. It's just like a s- skinny, narrow place. Wall. Yeah. 
is so cool. Yeah. And they have a host who dresses like Beetlejuice and acts like him. Like he will come up and like take food from your plate yeah. and then just be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, like it's what he, like, like he took fries from me. <laughs> yeah. And he just like will come around and like, <sighs> like just be like talking in, in that voice and bug you. Like just come and get in your face and be crass. And I think sometimes I, I might be wrong about this. I probably should have looked this up. They sometimes have an Edward Scissorhands instead. I think you're right. Um, so it's not always Beetlejuice that's there. And then the the walls are like covered in Tim Burton homages, but but in a very classy way. Like it doesn't feel like a hot topic restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it feels like a elevated restaurant that that loves Tim Burton. Yeah. And their menu is all like connected to to the t- to Tim Burton's oeuvre. Um, and the food was really good. Yeah. And we got like fancy drinks and they were really good. And I, if it still exists and you're in New York, highly recommend. It was a blast. I totally forgot about that. That was so great. You know, it wasn't until watching it just this week that I've kind of come to accept that Beetlejuice is as important to me as it is. I mean, we both have Beetlejuice inspired tattoos. We do. Do you want to talk about them? Yeah, I, I think... I, and I can't remember if we've done it in the past, but we'll throw a picture up on social media that we got a couple based off of the infamous Polaroids that are taken in this film of the two ghosts in sheets. Um, we have two ghosts, matching tattoos of two ghosts of us when we're dead, of two ghosts in sheets, and one is tall and one is small. <laughs> so when people see yours a lot because it's on your arm and mine's on my upper shoulder, so <laughs> I actually... I most often have it seen by medical people. So like when I get <laughs> vaccinated, which I've done many times in the last couple of years. Um, and then also recently I had like my annual appointment with my GP and uh, one of the nurses like was taking my blood pressure and she was like, oh my goodness, that's so cute. Um, but people don't usually see it because I don't wear tank tops a lot. But when people do see it, I'm like, oh yeah, my partner and I have these because we're not getting married. This was our like here instead of wedding rings we'll get matching tattoos of us when we're dead yeah inspired by beetlejuice (laughs) if you want to know who we are i mean we've also been like yeah we also love a ghost story and we also love phoebe Phoebe bridgers Bridgers. but uh at at its core it's it's a beetlejuice reference we when we were getting the artist um kayla at polite slut on instagram um which at the time she was at pansy poke tattoo which is a queer owned and operated tattoo studio in edmonton and they're awesome Mm. um when we were getting her to 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 do it for us we sent her reference photos of the polaroids from yeah like that that was the reference photo yeah so they are beetlejuice tattoos yeah and some of my favorites but yeah like i i was kind of thinking about my history of beetlejuice a little bit not i don't know if i told you this but when i went to when my family took a trip when i was in second grade to go to universal studios there was a me and my dad only went to a Beetlejuice graveyard rock and review. What? So That's it, so cool. So it was like a Beetlejuice musical. What? That like it had its own plot and stuff. And I remember the actor who played Beetlejuice like coming out into the crowd and like getting specific members of the crowd to have things that they do, like whether it's like whoop or clap or whatever at certain moments. So when he's on stage, he'll be like, Sydney, do the wave. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember thinking it was so cool because it's like Beetlejuice and I really like Beetlejuice and it's all kind of like haunted, creepy themed. And it was just me and my dad. And I remember thinking that was really cool to bring it back to the show. 
Um, but yeah, every time I see it, it makes me so happy and it makes me nostalgic, but it also just, it reveals something new about it that mm-hmm. I love um, or that I'm critical of in a positive way that, you know, makes me love the movie even more. And now getting to finally see it in the theater for the first time was so special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that both you and I independently shared a love for it. And mm-hmm. then we came together. And also, as I mentioned, when I watched The Adams Family as a kid, I had a huge crush on Wednesday. This was the same here with Lydia. Oh, how <laughs> could you not? I did too. She's, I think I, it was one of those like, do I want to be her or do I want to be with her? I can't tell. Well, so <laughs> it's it, like, I wonder how telling it is that like, I like somebody like Wednesday. I like somebody like Lydia and then your I like your look when we first got together <laughs> was very like a like a dark lid and and black hair. Yeah, I used and to dye my hair black. And you're so spicy. I was just like, oh yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess it's not surprising. <laughs> I um yeah, I this is a movie that when I watch it, my heart just swells. Yeah. And I can't stop it from happening i want to share a couple of cool pieces of trivia mm-hmm. very trivia focused this week i apologize i love it i love you brought all this to but, the table um did you know that Catherine o'hara met her husband on this film I, f- I feel like that's something i heard but i did not remember it so his name's bo welch uh he uh, he was like a director of photography or something like that oh, yeah i've heard that um, name and he's this is a quote from him it didn't even occur to me that i was even supposed to talk to the actors but since tim burton told me to i did and then we dated <laughs> and we're married and here we are today i love that I love that so much. It's just like, it's one of those really weird universal things of just like, if Tim Burton never said that to him, he wouldn't have talked with Catherine. Yeah, and they wouldn't be married and they're still married. Also, Gina Davis was the only cast member who immediately committed to the project. Every single other actor, including Michael Keaton, had to be convinced because they all thought it was too weird. So in other words, Gina Davis is the greatest of all time. MVP. Uh, Always. Also, this is the first time we've seen the movie since we've seen The Fly, and that one scene with The Fly is a tribute to The Fly because Gina Davis is in this. Mm. Like, what The Fly or Beetlejuice pretending to be The Fly says is what Jeff Goldblum says in The Fly during his transformation. That's good. I didn't really pick up on that. Um, This is also very, it, it is a very esoteric moment in time because it is one of four films that uses the F word in a PG movie when PG-13 was an available rating. Ooh. So it probably should be PG-13. Yeah. And it could have been PG-13, but it is PG. The other three movies are Spaceballs, Caddyshack 2, and Big. I wonder why. Like, like what that is. Like, what? Like, did they just able to sneak it in or was there just... I don't know. This feels like it should be PG-13. I'm going to be honest. This is why, like, the whole way that ratings are... The rating system goes about is just so... It's bizarre to me because it's just... The people who are coming up with them and the system itself, it just seems, like, so subjective and weird anyway. Um, Also, the scene that has the F word in it was accidental so something falls over and that happened by accident and when it fell over michael keaton then improvised that line and tim burton just loved it so much he put it in the movie <laughs> it's great oh, it's yeah. very memorable <laughs> oh yeah big time uh two last pieces 
The car that Adam and Barbara drive, I guess, was at the time one of the safest cars in the world. So this was meant to be a joke for car savvy viewers. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so good. And final, finally, a final piece of trivia, which I'm obsessed with, is this was directly inspired by Poltergeist, but they wanted to flip the idea. So instead of good humans um, bothered by bad spirits, it's bad. It's good ghosts bothered by bad humans. So it's Brilliant. Poltergeist, but inverted. Brilliant. Oh, God, I just like, I love this movie. This movie's so good. If you've seen it before and you haven't watched it recently, watch it again. If you've never seen it before, what is wrong with you? Go watch it right now. It's so good. Please do. How did Beetlejuice make you feel? Just happy. Yeah, me too. So, so happy. Thrilled, chilled, fulfilled. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Makes me so happy. Okay. Last one of the week. As you mentioned, you were you were kind of really hoping that I would pick a banger to go out on the go out on this week. You kept the practical effects, but you lost the comedy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can't talk. I don't. I don't even know how to get started on this because it was so amazing. So for the last pick of the week, I chose the 1960 horror mystery thriller Psycho. It was directed by Alfred Hitchcock and written by Joseph Stefano, who wrote the screenplay and was based off the novel by Robert Bloch. Block, I think. Block? Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, Bobby. And it stars the incomparable Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates and Janet Leigh as Marion Crane, Vera Miles as Lila Crane, John Gavin as Sam Loomis, and Martin Balsam as Detective Milton Arbogast. The synopsis is a Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer employer's client, goes on the run and checks into a remote motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. I have never seen this movie before, which wow. as a horror fan is probably a sin. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to see this. We, We've mentioned it before, but we've been watching Queer for Fear on Shudder, a really great horror analysis series that's showrun um, and most, yeah, showrun and has episodes directed by um, Brian Fuller. And they did a whole piece on Psycho. And I mean, at, just as a caveat, like I've, I've seen a lot of the iconic scenes from this movie. Mm-hmm so many times throughout my life through things I've watched and also just being referenced in pop culture across the history of time. But uh, it was so incredible to finally see them within the concept of the story of the movie as a whole. what do you think of Psycho? So I really like Psycho, but interestingly, I'd also never seen it in like one sit down because the only time I've seen it was as a student teacher, my mentor teacher taught it in class mm-hmm. um, which isn't the same as sitting down and watching it on your own mm-hmm. um, I think that's the only time I've seen it I could be wrong but I'm pretty sure I have seen the Gus Benson version I watched it as a like junior high age kid and right. didn't really like it I watched it with uh, my childhood friend at her like lot <laughs> in a like little shack they have a as a kind of cabin, but it's not really a cabin. It sounds creepy. Yeah, um, but it's so good. 
So good. There's a reason it's like one of the pinnacles of not just horror, but cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad that you picked it and that we got to watch it again because it's amazing. It's like American Werewolf in London. It's one of those ones that it's nearly impossible to see before you've already heard all about it and seen scenes from it, perhaps even more than American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. If there's a person out there who manages to watch this movie cold, man, lucky, so lucky. Cause I think almost everybody knows the ending has seen the shower scene, has seen it referenced a million times. Um, but it's still amazing. Yeah. So I think, I think something I want to say about it is, I mean, this also just kind of cemented for for me. Like, I don't know why it was this film specifically, but it came out in 1960. It cemented for me that we just love 1960s cinema. Mm-hmm. It's so stylish. It's so cool. It's so arty. And I love that it just seems to be this decade where people, where filmmakers are just like, we're just going to go nuts and change the way we make films mm-hmm. forever. And, and experiment with how we make films. Yeah, exactly. Narratively, visually, like effects wise, genre wise, figure out new ways to use the camera. Yeah. And to what you're saying too, like there were so many moments when we were watching, both watching the film and then when we were kind of talking about it in a spoiler, more spoiler filled conversation immediately afterward of just what it must have been like to go see this in the theater in 1960 and ex- ha- have no knowledge at all about it. So what's also really interesting, and I learned this, this was the one that I was trying really hard to read the whole trivia page, but it is a novel a unto itself. I did I gave up. But one of the things that I came to understand is that this theater experience actually changed theater going. So I guess prior to this film coming out, it was very common for people to just hop into a theater in the middle of the movie. Hmm. Because, and I don't, I'm not quite sure why. I think like you'd it, just be walking by on the street and, and just, then just be like. And I mean, and honestly, how many times have we watched a movie like Pearl, for example, where that you see that in the film, right? That people just kind of like, oh, I'm I'm here in the theaters here, and I'll just go and walk into whatever's playing. Mm. But he didn't want that, Alfred Hitchcock. So in every theater, he actually first he he had a contract with the theaters that this was playing at that people would not be allowed in late. Mm. And then there was a cardboard cutout of him, of Alfred Hitchcock, pointing to his wristwatch in every theater. And then on that cardboard cutout, it said, quote, the manager of this theater has been instructed at the risk of his life not to admit to the theater any persons after the picture starts. Any spurious attempts to enter by side doors, fire escapes, or ventilating shafts will be met by force. The entire objective of this extraordinary policy, of course, is to help you enjoy Psycho more. Alfred Hitchcock. It's <laughs> awesome. Also, every theater had like a countdown. So it'd be like 10 minutes until Psycho, five minutes until Psycho. Kind of like when you're at the theater during intermission and it says like five minutes until the show starts again. Mm -hmm. And I guess that this helped to formalize mandatory seating times. Wow. Which honestly, we've gone to a couple of movies lately where people have been coming in late. It's so distracting. And this is not a movie that can handle that. Like it is... I don't find it slow and I think no. sometimes people I think see this movie too young when they maybe don't have that, not everybody, mm-hmm. but but a lot of folks don't yet have the ability to just really sit with a film. Yeah. 
I don't find it slow. I find it engaging, deliberate, and restrained. Yeah. I also think to what you're saying, too, I think it's easy to write off black and white films. As but interestingly, just like boring this didn't have to be black and white. He chose for it to be in black and white. It's gorgeous in black and white. And he wanted to he wanted to see what he could do with that. Um, I don't know. It's just it's so good. And I and because you can become mesmerized by it, I think, yeah, having people enter the theater late would disrupt that. Yeah. So wild. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of just in disbelief of the amount of craft and care that was going into this movie as we were watching it, just because it just, even knowing some of the things that happens, I was so swept up in the story. I was so swept up in the characters Mm -hmm. and the characters in this, there's some very babely folks in here, but most notably I'd say Anthony Perkins. Yeah. He, I would have had such a crush on him if I'd been around at that time. Yeah. But like the performance that he does in this is incredible. There's a reason that it's iconic. There's a there's a reason that they made a whole show, Bates Motel, off of this story. Which we watched part of. Yeah. Would you revisit it? Maybe. Okay, we'll leave it at a maybe. <laughs> um but I mean, this is I don't know. I'm. J- I, we just watched it last night, so I think I'm still very in my head about it. But I, I love this so much. It's it's honestly astounding. Like the imagery, the music, the dialogue, the characters. There is there's a exposition scene at the end, and you and I talked about how it, we didn't hate it, but I guess Hitchcock hated it. Oh really? Like was he forced into yeah it? by the um, studio? So he didn't like it, but the studio felt like. If he if it wasn't in some moviegoers wouldn't get it like they wouldn't get what had happened, and the studio also felt like there needed to be a bit of like reprieve in between the reveal and and the ending. Mm. Um, so Hitchcock didn't like it, and it's the most commonly critiqued part of the film, both by viewers and critics. Yeah, I wonder what it would be like if you took it out or reduced it. But well, I I don't hate it personally. Well, and I feel I mean this came out at a time where I imagine that there weren't. There was no such thing as director's cuts. Unless I'm totally wrong that there's a a director's cut of Psycho out there. I think Hitchcock was pretty, like he was pretty prolific, but interestingly, so normally he would be paid $250,000 to direct a film and Paramount, who made it, Mm -hmm. did not believe this movie would do well. Mm -hmm. It was his first horror film. And so Hitchcock agreed to take a 60% cut of the gross earnings of the film in lieu of being paid any money. Oh. So he normally was paid $250,000. Paramount agreed to this because they thought this movie would tank. He made $15 million. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love 15 million in the 60s. I love, I love, I mean, in the, I mean, like the synopsis says, this is about, you know, somebody running away with $40,000, which in the 60s is like, uh, I looked it up as three hundred and fifty-two thousand some odd dollars. Yeah, like that's yeah, that's a lot, that's of, a money. lot of money. Um, I love that though. I love that Hitchcock was he just believed in the project so much, and then it ended up <laughs> paying off. And I know that he has um, a history of being cruel, and he's some yeah. Stanley Kubrickish stuff there. Yeah, 
He did go to great lengths to like keep this a secret. He anonymously bought the rights to the book so that people wouldn't know it was him. The cast and crew had to like raise their right hand and swear not to divulge a word of the story. And he kept the ending secret. Like they didn't get to read the end of the script until the end. Is this he like also, pre-NDA? Like just like raise your hand. <laughs> raise your hand and swear. But it's Pinky very promise. like you hear about this a lot now, right? Like people not getting a full script. He also though, and this is the most trolly thing he did. He went and bought up copies of the book wherever he could so that people couldn't read the book and know the ending. Oh man. Jeez. <laughs> Like, what a troll. I don't know. It's um, it's wild. He also, I find this funny, but apparently it might have been cruel. He referred to Anthony Perkins as Master Bates. Master Bates. Well, said. Uh, <laughs> Which I personally find funny. I think it's funny. I guess it depends if he found, if Anthony Perkins found it funny, whether that is funny or not. I but, mean, Anthony but, Perkins did do two more Psycho movies, so I... I think he was okay well, to return to being masturbates a couple so more times. This movie was heightened for me. I'd seen it before, but it was heightened for me by the fact that we had recently watched that Queer for Fear episode. Yeah. And then I had done some reading on Anthony Perkins, and it's a really, really heartbreaking, like, shake your head, wish things could have gone differently kind yeah. of story. And um, Anthony Perkins, one of his sons, Oz Perkins, um, speaks a lot in the Queer for Fear episode and very intelligently, very reflectively, very honestly. Like he doesn't let his mm-hmm. dad off the hook and he doesn't let Alfred Hitchcock off the hook. Yep. And he sees that kind of complexity of it's not just good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, having that as the background to yep. what was going on here, knowing that this film tanked his career, but then also knowing that he was proud of the film is just really complicated. Yeah. Cause yeah, it kind of, it, it, Amongst other things, it kind of sets out that Anthony Perkins was like a heartthrob before he did Psycho. Mm -hmm. And then this was such a left turn for him, taking on the character of Norman Bates. And it's so sad that it did tank his career doing this role. But I love that he returned to do it two more times. He even directed, the, I think, the The third third, one. And he just like, he loved the character and just knowing his history and who he was. And the role of Norman Bates in the, in this film in Psycho, the the performance he turns out is incredible. There's a whole dialogue scene between Norman and Marion in a par they, in a parlor. They both kill it. It. I turn to you at the end of that scene, and I'm just like, that was incredible. Yeah, one of the best scenes in anything ever. And it's just two people talking for like five minutes straight. Yeah, and you like. There just isn't a lot of that in the like blockbuster cinema that's coming out. Like you don't see a lot of just sitting and talking dialogue stuff that's coming out that's super accessible. You kind of have to dig a little bit deeper into the indie pool to get a little bit more of that kind of stuff. They're not doing this in Marvel movies. They're not they're not sitting around ta- having a taking a beat to talk for 5 minutes and just have a straight dialogue scene. That still adds so much to the theme, to the characters, to the story like I don't know. This movie is amazing. And I'm surprised it's taken me and us, but especially me, so long to really explore 1960s film because I grew up watching The Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and I loved them both. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was watching 50s, 60s TV in the horror, thriller, mystery vein. I especially, I watched a lot of Alfred Hitchcock Presents with my dad, Mm -hmm. like me, my dad, and my little brother. 
he's not so little anymore, but he's still my younger brother. Mm -hmm. Um, the three of us watched Alfred Hitchcock presents a lot. Um, once buying shows on DVD became more accessible. Yeah. Uh, I remember my dad buying these up and being really excited to like show us them. And they were really expensive, like to buy a season of Alfred Hitchcock presents. Um, and we would watch them all the time together. And I really liked them. I had a student a handful of years ago buy me the entire series of the original Twilight Zone as a end of the year gift, which is one of the most generous, thoughtful things a student has ever done. Because I think I at one point just said I love the Twilight Zone, but I can't afford to buy well, that's the, the whole series. Like ever since before you and I were together, then once we got together, we every time we went to an HMV or a place like that that sold physical copies of stuff. We, I feel like we always looked at the Twilight Zone And we're just like, set, I can't afford this. And we're like, it would be amazing to have this. But we, it's too much money. And we did that so many times. We did it for years. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like that was just such a, such a generous gift. Yeah, and just really like, really meaningful because I, I do love the Twilight Zone so much. And that's another reason that this film is great is because Abergast is played by the actor who is the doctor in Eye of the Beholder, which is, I know, not just mine, but many people's in their top um, Twilight Zone episodes. I love that episode so much. Mm -hmm. And yeah, going on a bit of a tangent here, the name of the game this episode, but no. That's okay. Greg, like, this movie is so good. It's, and again, if you've, amazing. if you've never seen, if you've seen Psycho and you haven't watched it recently, go rewatch it. If you've never seen Psycho, especially if you don't know anything about it, quick, before it can accidentally get spoiled for you, like the time that I was about to see Die Hard for the first time ever and then somebody at my work sent a, just coincidentally sent a meme with the ending to the film on it, um, go watch Psycho right now. If you've never seen it and you do know all about it and so you think you don't need to watch it, still go watch it. It is so good. As a last piece of trivia, I would like to give you. Alfred Hitchcock got an angry letter from the father of a teenage girl that said his daughter would no longer take a bath after seeing the movie Diabolique, which he did not make, but inspired him to make this. And now she would no longer take a shower after seeing Psycho. <laughs> Hitchcock sent a letter back that said, send her to the dry cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> you got a dirty daughter. <laughs> But I just love that. Don't get mad at me. Send her to the dry cleaners. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> also, the trailer for this is six and a half minutes long, I guess. <laughs> so I would like to watch that. I, I don't even. Heavens. I don't even know. Oh, it's so good. Damn it. All of the movies we watched this week were so good. Yeah. Werewolf by Night was okay. But the rest <laughs> of them were so good. <sighs> yeah. How did Psycho make you feel? astounded engaged just like appreciative of cinema i don't know yeah i'm obsessed yeah same for me i was just kind of awestruck and gobsmacked the whole time i'm just like i know some of these scenes but it is incredible just how it all comes together in the larger story and how it all plays out visually how it looks the performances everything it just blew me away and Going into this, I knew it was iconic, but now I fully understand why. And you will watch it again. Absolutely. Whew, man, what a great week of movies. This was super fun. But now, let's talk about the dads of the week. Bad dads and rad dads. I think there's a possibility that we've picked the same ones. We'll see. But we will see. Who's your bad dad nominee? Beetlejuice. Same. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. He is uh, disgusting. He is inappropriate. He is rude. He is selfish. He's manipulative. He's dangerous. I don't like him. Yep. I like the movie. I don't like him. Yeah. Uh, I pretty much wrote all the same stuff. So Beetlejuice. Frick off. Get out of here. Go Go be go be gross somewhere else. <laughs> go be gross. I'm sorry I said your name so many times. Don't come here. I don't want you. I don't want you here. <laughs> don't come here. All right. Rad dad. Who's your rad dad? Mine's a twofer. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> uh, my rad dad or rad dads are the Maitlands, Adam yeah. and Barbara from Beetlejuice. Okay, I put Gina Davis as Barbara, but I will definitely accept both. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, they're just my kind of energy. Yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed. Yeah. I mean, obviously I want them to be our third and fourth. (laughs) Yes, please. They're so kind. They're thoughtful. They're confident in their life, which I really like. And they're just super loving. Um, and like they, they they are, they're selfless. Like they don't just think about themselves. They're thinking about other people. And I love that. And I I just, they're, I love the, I love them as a couple. I love their dynamic. Obviously, like we mentioned, it's we see ourselves in them and have modeled our lives after them. <laughs> Unintentionally, yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I did just put Barbara, so I'm going to speak a little bit to her, but I, I'm going to ad lib Adam into it. I just, Barbara has such a strong sense of who she is. And I think established really early on in the film, they, the two of them, have a strong sense of who they are and they support each other. Mm-hmm. There's this really beautiful moment that you and I hadn't really paid attention to in the past. Um, after this character named Jane says something really awful. Yeah. And she doesn't mean to, but she's, she's really thoughtless. Yeah. Really thoughtless. That's the right way to put it. And she recognizes after she says it, how thoughtless it was, but it's too late. And Barbara comments on it in the car to Adam. And he says like, what does he say exactly? I don't really think it's any of Jane's business. And I, I thought that was such a beautiful way to support Barbara without trying to tell her how to think or telling her like, Oh, it's okay. Just being like, that's not any of her business and the way we've chosen to live our lives mm-hmm. is between us. Um, so I think that the two of them have both independently a strong sense of who they are as their own people, but then also a strong sense of who they are as a couple. And it's really beautiful. Like, I think I feel even more strongly about our tattoo now because it's not just us when we're dead. It's like also inspired by like this bond they have that like when they die, they're still together and and there's a there's this really wonderful line where Adam says maybe this is heaven, <laughs> yeah. And she says in heaven there wouldn't be dust everywhere. But like the idea that like just spending the rest of their lives in their home together is is, is heaven is fine is is happiness is bliss. Yeah, like, and that would be the case for me. I'd be happy to also very the big snip vibes. Um, mm-hmm. Like I would be happy to spend the afterlife in our home with you. I mean, I'd love Thompson to be there too, please. Yeah. But yeah, you know, no, I agree. There, there's there's another like very quick line that it's just kind of hammers home that these two legitimately love spending time together where he's just like, Barbara, come with me down to the store. Like, yeah, that's such yeah. an us thing. I say all the time, we're not codependent. We just only have one car. Yeah. But like, I'm like, do you want to just come to my haircut with me so we can like drive well, together? So, or like we might need some stuff for dinner and you could pick it up easily on the way home, but you'll drive all <laughs> the way home to pick me up so that we could go pick up the stuff for dinner because we want to do it together. This is this is very true. Very, very true. So yeah, I really I really love that. I love their relationship and I love that even in that relationship, they independently like have their own identities and know who they are, but then they support and love each other. But the other thing I really love is that they're reflective and capable of reevaluating. 
there's this really wonderful point in the film, one of my favorite visual moments, and I still really would like to be this for Halloween, but I don't have the craft skills, um, where they're they're about to do something that they don't feel particularly good about. And then Barbara stops and says, like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that ability to change your choices based on a reevaluation is such a beautiful thing for a parent to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the Maitlands, I'm full in on the co-dads for the week. They're wonderful. All right. Adam and Barbara, Maitland, be, be our dads. dads. Do, uh, do you also have a bonus daddy? I don't, but I'm not surprised <laughs> you do. Uh, do you know who it is? Is it Alec Baldwin's butt? No, <laughs> it's not. It's Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Alec Baldwin, my sisters really liked your butt in Beetlejuice, but. <laughs> Thanks for the butt. I'm, I'm going to bonus daddy Anthony Perkins. Because he's got that magician's body, <gasps> baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> While we were watching it, I was like, if they ever made a biopic about his life, Andrew Garfield should play him because they both look like they're taller than they are. Um, How tall is he? He was six, one and a half, but he looks taller. I mean, that's still, that's pretty tall. It is tall, but his neck is so sexy. He's got that great long boy body. Yeah. I, I'm, regardless of your gender, if you have a magician's body, I probably will have a crush on you. Also, a magician's body <laughs> is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. So, it it came from I was having a conversation with some people I work with and we were kind of talking about body types and then I think I asked like what like what's my what would you say my body type is and then a person looked me up and down and said you you kind of like a magician's body so we've attributed that to being just like somebody with like really long limbs and like <laughs> looks like they'd be really good at magic <laughs> and it turns out that's my sexuality <laughs> I think like 9.5 out of all of every 10 people I have a crush on, and I have a lot of crushes, have magician's bodies. Yeah. It's fairly rare that a person I have a crush on does not have a magician's body. So and who that, are some examples? So me, Anthony Perkins. Kristen Stewart, I think, has a magician's body. Mackenzie Davis definitely has a magician's yeah. body. Um, I could go on. <laughs> Andrew Garfield, for sure. Yes. Yeah, I could go on. Every, everybody. Like the only person I can think of in my mind who I have a crush on who doesn't have a magician's body is Shane Top. Yeah. And also he's blonde, which is usually, usually not. It's it's, per, it's his personality that's coming through. A hundred percent. I'm obsessed with his personality and he seems, and he's well read. Yeah. Um, I can have crushes on brains. Brains. But do you agree to name Anthony Perkins bonus daddy? Of the oh, week? absolutely. Tony, Anthony Perkins. Wow. Lovely. Talk about the rad wreck of the week. So we had some fun this week. We hung out with some buddies who we haven't, we've we've been so busy. We've been really busy watching movies, which (laughs) I know some people doesn't think is an excuse to be busy, but hey, we got a podcast. So this is like a second job now. So Uh, it's our, it's our responsibility. It is our responsibility. Thank you to those of you who listen and are appreciative of all the movies we watch because we've been cutting out on other responsibilities to watch movies. Yeah. And I'm not upset about it. Um, but we got to catch up with some of our good buddies and something that we always do with them. That's really fun is we like to play video games with them specifically our rad wreck of the week, Jackbox games. So, so fun. if you're unfamiliar, Jackbox games, they release this kind of suite of mini games, um, that you can play together. We usually play them on the switch. I think you can get them through steam or other consoles as well. 
but it's a suite of mini games that you all play and you play it through the, through the console or through the computer, but everyone plays on their individual smartphones. And it's just these, it's these really wacky, really fun party games that are, that kind of run the gamut of different types of games. So, you know, there's some that I like more than others, some that you like more than others. And it's just a really good mix. There's, I think the ninth party pack or the 10th party pack is coming out. It'll be this week. So I think tomorrow when this episode drops, but we really highly recommend checking them out, especially if you like getting together with groups of friends and playing games, give it a go. Cause it's, it's super fun. Even just pick up one of the packs. Um, some of our favorites in there are like draw the, what was the drawing game? Drawful. Dr- is it Drawful? And then there's Drawful Animates. One t- one day we'll talk about the uh, story of the first time we played Monster Seeking Monsters. Yes, yes, yes. It was a it was a it was a time. Um, but it's all every time we play Jackbox games, there are many moments of just cackling laughter, and we have such a great time playing them together with our with our buddies. So Rad Wreck of the Week, check out Jackbox Games. But thank you all so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. And in the meantime, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad, on Twitter at baddadraddad. You can also get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. We got links for those in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But that is going to do it for these two stinkies this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But uh, remember. (laughs) Not all dads have to be bad. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.